And welcome, once again, to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and you can find me on Twitter at Bob McDonald. Jimmy Lemke, who is my normal co-host, uh, will not be joining us today, though you can still find him at PantherU on Twitter. And you can find us, uh, the podcast on Twitter as well, at HorizonRT. And uh, joining us today, uh, making return visits, uh, from the Reserve News is uh, Matthew Johns. Matthew, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yes, and uh, Matthew, obviously, you could find uh, we could find uh, the Reserve News on at, I believe at Reserve Me- the Reserve Media on yep. Twitter. Yes, sir. All right. Um, so lots to talk about this week. Um, we we want to talk of, uh, a lot of stuff happened this week. Um, for example. Uh, Green Bay had a very impressive win over previously undefeated Belmont. So, uh, as a team that was ran, that was uh, picked to be in the preseason uh, at the top half of the Horizon League standings in the preseason, that's that's a good thing for them. Um, also, too, um, the uh, IUPUI, you know, they also had a pretty good showing against Bradley, beating them. Although they did lose to. Ball State, which also uh, brings up the fact that it was not a very good weekend for the Horizon League as a whole again, as they only won two out of the 11 games that they played on Friday and Saturday. But there's something else. Something else happened this week that kind of is important, and that is that Mike Thomas, the athletic director at Cleveland State, who's been in that job since uh, February of 2017, has decided to step down. And he, at the end of the year, he will no longer be the athletic director, which took pretty much everybody and their grandmother by surprise. So, uh, Matthew, you know, why don't you, uh, you know, what, what, what's your take on this whole thing? Because I, I have a few opinions of my own. But I'll, 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 I want to hear what you got to say. Well, Taking at least taking me by surprise is an understatement because I, I was just sitting here. I can't remember what night it was. Sitting here on the couch watching TV when I got the email from President Harlan Sands saying that he had resigned, and there were no rumblings about this. And you know, at face value, you look at it, and there was really nothing that said all oh, the athletic directors on the hot seat or he might be on his way out or anything like that. It just kind of came at random, and I think what's so shocking about it is that it's so short into his tenure, not even two years into his tenure. And for a guy who has had the past that he has, you know, when he left his, or when he got fired from his Illinois job, it, it wasn't obvious that he would ever get another AD job. So the fact that he was able to get that and secure one ought to have been a pretty big accomplishment for him. And now to step down from that at this point, it was just caught me off guard and I it just kind of is it sums up what has been just nothing but turmoil for the Cleveland State Athletic Department for quite a while now and it's just it's going to be interesting to see how they recover from this one because they've already got a lot of positions open they just hired a new two new basketball coaches and it, it, it just it it adds to the fire that already is in that department yeah well, here's my thing, and I, and obviously, you know, the, the, the 
the statements that have been put out and you know been well documented is that um, that Mike Thomas decided to do this for pers- personal reasons. Apparently, he wants to spend more time with his kids in North Carolina. He wants to do some teaching. He wants to do some consulting, which is all fine, well, and good. Sounds like somebody who's resigning from a cabinet position to me, but you know, whatever. Here's the thing, though. You're looking at a Cleveland State Department, and I've having followed this this the goings on in athletics for for many many years. Um, this is a very crucial time for that department because right now you look at a situation where that entire athletic program is toiling in obscurity, either by choice or by the fact that nobody gives a shit about them. Period. I mean, think about this for a second. And I go beyond, I just go beyond the fact that, go beyond the basketball programs, both of them. Even though you, even though you could, you have a, you have a, you have an athletic program that has had both a volleyball team and a golf team that have won back, have won consecutive, consecutive conference championships. Right. Name me somebody outside of the halls of Cleveland State that knows about that or gives a shit about that. Well, I would say ninety. Other than me, ninety percent of the people within the halls of Cleveland State don't know about that. Exactly. I mean, the problems with the Cleveland State Athletic Department go so far beyond just communication with people outside of the university. Yeah. No, nobody at the university cares about the athletics. And they're paying money to, 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 and they're paying millions of dollars every year for it. Right. Every fucking year. Yep. Yeah, 90, <laughs> so, I mean, 90% of the funding for the athletics there comes from students. Yes. And one, most students don't even know that. And two, I mean, even if they did, would they care? Would they I care about the teams at that point? Good question. And, and you know, it's, it, it, and how do you fix that? And if you're, I mean, if you're looking at this job, how do you fix that problem? How do you address that issue? Because John Perry was never going to fix that issue. Basically, he was there for eight years, and he just made sure that all the books were balanced. And that was basically, and oh, by the way, find enough money for him to find enough money for him to, uh, you know, find enough money for him to create, you know, to form, form the lacrosse program, which he was able to do to his, to his everlasting credit. The, the, the athletic program was in the black, and he was able to add a program, although the whole wrestling flap was kind of stupid, and I'm never going to let him forget about that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, what did he do? I mean, other than that, he, he basically, you know, other than keeping the books balanced, there wasn't anything else. It wasn't, you know... He, he, there was no addressing even during his tenure he, there was the because again no matter what any of these other athletics programs do the bottom line is the crown jewel of the the crown jewel of the athletics program for Cleveland State and honestly for all mid majors without a football program is the basketball program and for consecutive years when you have an issue of and Mike Thomas even made a point of this: the fact that the crown jewel of this program is is in in terms of attendance is going down every single year. 
And it has not been pretty so far this year. No, it o- hasn't. Outside of, the, outside of the Kent State game. And that was it's only 2,000 people who showed up to that game. Right. I can tell I you mean, right now, I can tell you right now, when Mike Garland was the head coach, Mike Garland, who by all regards was a not good basketball head basketball coach great assistant has been up at great assistant has been up at uh, Michigan State forever and ever and ever not a great not a great head coach when he was the head coach they still they were still in the middle of the pack in attendance in the Horizon League still and you and still when you now I mean, even now, it's like, how many people showed? How many people showed up to the uh, to the Fort Wayne game? What seven hundred and seventy seven? Right. Yep. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, I get it's on a Sunday during uh, on Browns weekend and the Browns won, but the game was at five o'clock. The Browns game was over at four, and it was an away game. Yep. I mean. I think outside of the Kent State game, the only other game that's tipped a thousand people was South Carolina State. I don't think Samford got over a thousand. I don't think Urbana did either. Oh, Urbana sure as hell didn't. Yeah, I think they've both been in like the seven to eight hundred range, somewhere in there. But the, the the but that's the challenge here, and again, that's a challenge that Mike Thomas himself, when he first took the job said was something that needs to be addressed. He needs to address the he needs to address donations and he needs to address the attendance issue. And it, what does it say when you have a Cleveland State uh, you have a guy who says that attendance is a priority leaving as of December thirty first and you'll have had Wow, I want to say probably you'll you'll have already had you'll have played two conference games. Half of your season is pretty much you know you'll have played about fifteen, sixteen games, right? In the regular season already, and as he steps down, you're going to see Cleveland State having the lowest average attendance in the history of Cleveland's. I think probably the lowest average attendance since they've been uh, definitely the lowest average attendance since they've been at the Wolstein Center. And I would wager to say that there are certain points during the Kevin Mackey era of Woodland Gym that that's, that, that that they're not even hitting those average numbers. These would be low numbers for Woodland Gym, right? Let alone the cavernous and way too big Wolstein Center, which, oh by the way, they can't even do anything with either, because that was his other thing. The Wolstein Center, they're not going to do anything with that that building. They can't. No, they got... can't even afford to knock it down, let alone no. build a new one. And they keep booking things for it. They've. Right. I think they're doing the fencing championships there in 2019. I think they're doing. A, I think they're hosting the division. I think the Wolstein Center is hosting the division two wrestling championships. I think in 2020. And oh, by the way, let's not forget about All Star Weekend, which Harlan Sands made a big ass deal about. Partnering with uh, partnering with the uh, Cavaliers, saying, "Okay, there's going to be some activities at the Wolstein Center in 2022." They said the Wolstein Center, which means that if you, it's 2018 right now. It's a minimum of three and a half years before anybody can even think of doing anything with the Wolstein Center, which for like at least five years, at least five years, probably longer. Well, they're going to nobody's have had to- any idea what to do with. 
they're going to have to dump so much money into that place just to get it ready for NBA All-Star Weekend because yeah. they're not going to want it to be because I mean, obviously it's going to be packed. Yeah. They're not going to want all these people coming in and seeing, quite frankly, what a dump the place is. So any, you know, they they can't afford to knock it down, let alone build a new one. But now they're going to have to dump any money that they do have into renovating the place. Uh-huh. So maybe that's the long-term play now. We're going to stick with the Wolstein Center and just renovate it. I it's still I, 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 the issue yeah, that I I can't think that I honestly can't think that there wasn't a, I can't honestly think that there was an there that that Cleveland State would agree to the partnering with the Cavs on this All Star Weekend without some sort of concessions without some sort of deal being made regarding the Wolstein Center anything putting up new drapes I don't care anything to make to improve for 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 All-Star weekend because I guarantee you with what they're doing at the queue that whole gigantic transformation you can't necessarily bring you you can't have you know the Wolstein Center looking all spiffy and stuff for for All-Star weekend and then you know during the Friday and Saturday activities go over to I'm sorry you can't go over to the queue looking all spiffy and then go over to the Wolstein Center <laughs> Well they don't even have I mean, they have a video board in the Wolstein Center, but it doesn't work. No. And it's tiny in a corner. Yeah. Like, there's obviously no Jumbotron. No. There is I not. mean, how it, is it, that going to work? I mean, the fan experience is going to be awful. That's funny. Maybe that. Maybe the maybe the new scoreboard is part of the deal. Maybe. I don't know. You know, because, you, know, you know, everybody everybody who's going to the Wolstein Center, I'm sure, because I think they're doing the celebrity game here. It's like, you know, we got we got to see, you know, I'm sure maybe they'll throw it. Maybe the NBA is going to decide to throw in a Jumbotron so everybody can see Kevin Hart on the big screen, which, you know, as short as he is, you're probably going to have to need a Jumbotron to see him on the court. So, um, <laughs> um but again, that is a is, that's kind of the, but that's a, a, just an example of the challenge that this new athletic director and I'm not even going to get into who's going to be the interim. They're I, I don't know who it is. Uh, we have our we have our ideas who it's going to be, but bottom line is it's probably uh, I see this job being a job that's you know again looking at a you know. I'm sure Cleveland State has a has an idea of what they want for an athletic director. Personally, I think they need to they need to go back to what worked to begin with, which and what worked to begin with was back in 2002 when John Constantinos retired as a director. Michael Schwartz who was the president of Cleveland State at the time and you know the and Cleveland State in general decided they were going to go with a young guy, um, you know, you know, one, a younger administra- athletic administrator who would, you know, kind of build his bones at Cleveland State, and not knowing it at the time, but understanding that probably one day he was going to end up going somewhere else, seeking life elsewhere. And they found that in Lee Reed. Lee Reed, who again had some ties to Cleveland State, he actually played at Cleveland State um, in the eighties. And he was there for however many years. Uh, he, I think he was there from 2002 to around 2010. Um, hired Gary Waters. Hired Kate Peterson Abiyad. Um, 
again, two bas- uh, the men's and women's basketball coaches, who, by the way, both of them all time the all time winning ba- uh, winningest basketball coaches in the histories of both women's and women's basketball. He hired Chuck Voss, the volleyball coach who won. However, I can't even I can't even count how many consecutive volleyball championships he's won. That's how successful they've been. And they also want to, you know, they. And he built all that, and then, based on that foundation of success, with you know everything at Cleveland State, he get, he takes the job at Georgetown. And I really sincerely think that if Cleveland State wants to finally get around to you know addressing at least remotely addressing some of the issues that they have, they need to go. And go in that same direction. Not pull somebody out of retirement like they did with John Perry. Not somebody who's looking at trying to be a reclamation project like Mike Thomas. Go young. Understand that, yes, in five to ten years, this guy may end up going somewhere else. But knowing that when that guy goes somewhere five to ten years from now, he will have left your department better off than it was before. And I think that's the direction they need to go. Well, what, and honestly, I don't know if they really have another option. Because no. if you're, and, and I don't know how they're going to do the hiring process, whether it'll be a committee, whether it'll be Harlan Sands, whatever. But if you're in that person's shoes, how do you sell a candidate? Like, how do you sell this department to them? They're in shambles in their two most notable programs, being the two basketball teams. The last athletic director just walked out less than two years into his tenure and whatever that reason may be, whatever that personal reason may be, it doesn't look good on the department and the fact that they're being tight-lipped about it doesn't help you know, what, it, it, how, do you, how do you do it? You know, how do you hire a candidate in this situation other than just trying to get somebody who's younger who doesn't have a lot of experience who you can just say, hey, we're going to give you the opportunity and that's going to be about it, other than throwing a ton of money at somebody, which I don't think they're going to do that either. No. They really don't have another option unless they can pull out some miracle, or if they're, I don't think they would appoint somebody in-house. But I, never know. I, you never know. But. You never know. But, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, I'm glad you brought that up because um, – and I, and again, I hearken back to the to the Constantinos retirement back in 2002, where they, when they brought in Lee Reed, um, essentially the same situation, um, where you have your your men's and women's basketball teams weren't doing so great. Not only that, but you were on the hook for a lot. You were you know you were on you know you were on, um, and not only that, but you know you're. The rest of your programs were not, compared to where Cleveland State was as a as a program uh, as a department as a whole in 2018. I would say they are in 2018 comparably better off than they were in 2002, where they wherein they have they do have successful programs. But the challenge still remains the same, where you still have, you know, kind of at the top, where there's still some challenges, and then there's some internal things, which incidentally, Lee Reed also addressed as well, internally. Um, and so I think, if they look at it from that standpoint, 
if they look at it from if you're Cleveland State, you look at it at that point in time. And honestly, I'm not sure if they will. Cleveland State's sense of history is crap. I already I've known that for years. Um, but if they looked at it in, in that way, and if they if they sell it as okay, this is what you know, this is the challenge that we need. Um, be it by a committee or by ser- or by search firm. I don't. I can't remember how they did it with the athletic director last time. But if you look at in that in that regard, then I see an opportunity for. And, and you'd be surprised how many you see. Be surprised how many young you know young folks or you know, younger administrators look at this and say, "Okay, that's a challenge. I'd like to do that." I, I, and I, I see that, and I mean, I saw it with Lee Reed. I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that there's another person out there like that. I don't doubt it. But, but more to the point, and this is actually kind of scary because you now have, now from a from a conference standpoint, you now have a kind of a new wrinkle where you thought, from a conference standpoint, you thought maybe Cleveland State was kind of. Get it slowly but surely turning it around, and now their athletic now their athletic director is uh, is resigning, and you know that throws one of your ten programs into turmoil. One of your ten programs at a time where you don't want that to be happening. <laughs> you already just went through a horrendous season in 2017, 2018. You were hoping not for a repeat of that, and now you have this happening. I don't know, man. It's it, it, it's a it's not a great situation. It's, well, I it, mean, you say you don't want a repeat of that. They're obviously not off to a great start. They are not. They are not. And that I, you know, and it didn't help that again. It really didn't help this weekend where you had eleven games on Friday and Saturday, and the Horizon League won two of them. Um, although the one I, I will say, um, which actually brings me to the one of the ones that they actually did win, which was the which was actually the uh, the game uh, which was Green Bay, uh, you know, putting putting it on previously undefeated Belmont. Now Belmont is an interesting situation. Belmont has been in the Ohio Valley Conference for 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 years and years and years. Them and Murray State. Belmont is always kicked around as a potential program that could uh, seek life elsewhere in terms of uh, moving conferences. You know, some you know when 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 the when the Horizon League was still in a position to talk about inviting people in the conference, which let's face it, they're absolutely not now. But when they were, Belmont was always kicked around as a as a potential uh, as a potential um, invitee. I mean, even you know they were even, and Belmont was even an associate member in soccer, with the provision that they were even able to play games here. So it, it was a nice, it was a nice partnership with Bel- Belmont, even though they were never a full member uh, when it lasted. And they've actually, they were actually, you know, and, and there as a program itself, Belmont has been very solid, very good. And coming into the season, the same thing has happened, where they go into Green Bay, they go, they go into Green Bay undefeated. And then Green Bay turns around and you know, they they put the beat uh, they they beat them 192. Um, so that actually leads me to believe that uh, and Green Bay has been consistently picked at uh, by 
you know, a lot of the preseason prognosticators would be kind of at the top of the conference. And I, I don't see any reason to dissuade, you know, kind of dispel that, uh, the, dispel that prediction because I think as a team right now, I think as a team right now, I really do think that they have the tools right now to be able to, they have the tools to be able to compete with this uh, with this league. I know Green Bay fans have been telling us, uh, we're telling us all over the preseason, don't sleep on Green Bay, so don't sleep on Green Bay. I think this is one of those wins where, yeah, that's a that's you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a uh, kind of a, a a a highlight of of that point that you know Green Bay may have may have what it takes to to really get it together and really you know definitely um, compete for the top spot in the uh, Horizon League. Yeah, and I mean their their offense is going to lead the way all season. I mean they're leading the Horizon League in offense right now. It's in terms of points per game, uh, they're averaging over eighty six points a game. Mm-hmm. I mean that's. Uh, I mean Northern Kentucky is right there with them at eighty two, but that's what's going to have to carry Green Bay. Their defense yeah. is middle of the road, but if they can score at that clip, I mean they're that's. Far and above what any Horizon League team is going to average per game, and obviously oh, yeah. that, that number is not going to stick all season. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, you and I, being Cleveland State guys, if if you watch a Cleveland State game and they even score in the eighties, it's it's a big day. <laughs> and Cleveland State's offense isn't bad, and it, it's yeah. not bad this year. They've, they've got no, no, it really but, isn't. But oh, and when you when you are averaging in the mid 80s when you're through eight games in a season. That's that's pretty that's pretty good, and that's that's something that's going to probably, as far, in terms of the offense in general, that high powered offense is going to be around to stay throughout the season. That's going to be tough for other schools to compete with down yeah. the stretch. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a testament too, because uh, kind of a testament to to the to head coach Link Darter. He, this this is his system. This is RP forty in action. That's his system. So um, it's it, it's interesting that you know when you see it in action, you see wow that that the, just kind of the def, the offensive production that they're getting, and they'll get it from. Anywhere. I mean, look at if you look at the box score for Belmont, they had six guys in double figures. Right. So you had you at any point in time you could have. It's it's amazing because with Green Bay with this system and with the guys that they have, any single one of them can can go off. You can have one night you can have a Sadie Cohen go off, or you can go have a Jaquan McLeod go off, or you can have a Cameron Hankerson. You can have, you know, you've you've got so many choices. You've got so many players to choose from, and it's it, it's kind of that system that the system that Darner has put together come to fruition. I mean, last year, obviously, and, and, and I said at the beginning of the year, right before the year started, I I really thought that that Green Bay was not, you know, last year was a down year for Green Bay. I just, I, it, it did not seem to me that they would be the program. I, I, I thought for sure that they would bounce back, and I, I, you know, they're five and three in the, you know, they're five and three in the in the non-conference. And I mean, if you're looking at this from a standpoint of, and when you look at it from a standpoint of non-conference games, you know, you you, you will find yourself obviously, um, you know, with a mix of games that are. Yeah, you're going to be going up against higher majors. I mean, one of those losses was a nine-point loss to Oregon. I mean, to hang with Oregon by now, to you know, to hang with Oregon, you know, in their in their arena in Eugene. 
right. is, is kind of a testament. And then com- tur- coming or turning around and then being a, Bel- a very good Belmont team that was previously undefeated. I mean, that I think that's a testament to what they're trying, uh, what what Link Garner is trying to do over at, uh, at at Green Bay, and again, a testament to that system, that RP forty system of his. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to play him this year. Yeah, hey, um, you mentioned Oregon. I, yeah, they did the same thing against Iowa. And yeah, I, I was ranked higher than Green or than Oregon, and uh, they lost by the same margin by eleven. Yeah. and they put up eighty two points on Iowa. Yeah, so if you're the Horizon League, they're they're being bought by bigger programs to come in and get beat. Sure, and if you can go in, and even if they don't beat Oregon or Iowa, if they just go in there and hang with them, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. When Cleveland State played Ohio State, they hung with them throughout the first half. Yeah. And it felt great. You knew they weren't going to win. And obviously they didn't. No. But but just hanging with them, it's, that's, that says something about Mm -hmm. smaller mid-major schools. If they can just at least be in the game at some point. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which, you know, and, and that's kind of the big, and that's really a big deal. I mean, you know, because you because you look at the non conference, you see, you know, there, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for wins specifically against the power the the so called power five conferences. But these higher mid major schools, and I know Jimmy and I have talked about this on multiple occasions, where you get like where you have a, a where a Belmont comes in, and you're able to beat them. That's Especially that that's that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, one of the other wins that I wanted to point, one of the other games I wanted to point out was the fact that IUPUI, who I continue to, uh, that who I'm I, I will to, I will still to my dying day consider them um, in addition to the uh, Horizon League by panic because Valpo <laughs> left at the last minute. Um, they consistently continue to prove me wrong. I'm, I guess I'm kind of okay with that, um, but the and in spite of the fact they did lose the ball state on Saturday, again not a great not a not a great weekend at all for the Horizon League. Uh, earlier in the week they did get a game they did get a win against Bradley who had only lost one game and they did that on the road. Um, and they won that one pretty handily. I I'd like to the one per the one and I, I think uh, in that case you know. I guess maybe I didn't do enough. Didn't you know, Cameron Justice, mm-hmm. who is kind of there, who is IUPUI star, star player? Um, do we get to a point? I mean, he put he put up twenty seven against Bradley. Um, Eight against Ball State, then too. I'm sorry, how many again? Twenty eight against Ball State. I mean, the question with Cameron Justice is: do we do do we start thinking about putting him in the same conversation as? As a Drew McDonald, as a as a loud love, as a potential player of the year candidate at this point, yeah, because I mean, the guy's balling, right? You you can't say no as long as he keeps playing like this. Like, I mean, you're looking at yeah, and and that's and, and I think with that and 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 perhaps um, and, and perhaps given you know we, I know we've talked about IUPUI so many times and in up and down and all around about you know kind of their 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 place in the Horizon League, and I know when we had uh, during the fan forum we had talked about potentially um, 
we, when we had Chris Schutte on, um, he had mentioned IUPUI may not necessarily be in a position to be a potential spoiler within the, they may not be there yet as a potential spoiler in, in the Horizon League. If you got Cameron Justice, I'm not so sure. Right. I mean, if you have an impact player like that, that can take over a game like he can. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's always going to be a possibility. And, I mean, Northern Kentucky obviously is the class of the, of the league. Of course. But you just can't, you can never take a team out of the conversation when they have a player the caliber of him. So I, and you say that they, can you put them in that conversation to be spoiler this year? I don't see why not. I yeah. mean, they're five and three right now. Mm-hmm. They're, they might, they might not have to play spoiler because they might be having to defend off a spoiler. I I don't think they're I don't I don't think they're going to flirt with first place or anything like that. But they could be in the upper half of the league this year if they keep playing well. Well, I mean, let, let's remember last year when we were complaining about them being in the te- being in the league, they were they were they finished fifth. So right, I mean. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody assumed last year that they were going to be like them, Cleveland State, Detroit Mercy, and. Youngstown State, who's going to finish last, and IUPUI was, they were much better than anybody expected them to be. Yeah, I mean, maybe not, maybe not, maybe last year not so much the fact that IUPUI was so much better than everybody, that everybody was so much worse. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and, you, I mean, and, and again, that's, you know, we, you know that, and maybe that's because of the fact. You know, there's going to be so many, and I think that's going to be the case this year. Except this year, except this season, you see IUPUI doing some things in the non-conference. We didn't see him do it all last year in the non-conference. So um, that, that's going to be so. That's definitely going to be something to watch in terms of IUPUI. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Uh, I, I had hoped they would do better against Ball State, but uh, unfortunately, that was not to be. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's very interesting to see uh, see a team that see IUPUI get it together, and you know really um, maybe sitting there kicking themselves because they left the Summit League. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So one of the last things I wanted to talk about is, is Detroit Mercy. Um, Detroit Mercy, who you know. I don't know, man. I see. I I did not expect them. I did not have expect them to have as good a a as good a uh, non conference season as they have been. Right. And I mean, mind you, they're three and five. But I really didn't expect to get the, them to get those three wins, given the way they were coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, for a team that was just so down and out by the end of the, the season last year, just mm-hmm. everything on with the coaching situation. The late hire, it just, they seemed like they were almost going to just automatically be a write off this season. Yeah. And they were going to be at the bottom. And I, like you said, they're three and five, so they're not exactly, you know, they're not IUPUI. But, no. <laughs> but, no. um, you, you don't expect them to, you, bottom line is, I still, you still don't expect them to be in, you know, you know, to be, you know, competing for anything, but at the same time, you 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 see them and say, "Wow, they're not doing as bad as we thought." Not the even big, close. The thing that does concern me with Detroit Mercy is that you look at their stats; they've only got two guys averaging double digit points per yeah. game. Yeah, 
And well, yeah, Antoine Davis and Josh McFoley, but um, right. that's kind of to me that was kind of a TV expected because when Mike Davis came in, you had so many of those, so many of the, you know, you had so many. Um, you had so many folks, uh, so many of the Bakari Alexander recruits transfer. So I wasn't, you know, <laughs> the fact that they brought in Mike Davis and he, and by extension, of course, his son Antoine, who, you know, he, you know, he's a he's a high caliber player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was committed to go to, he was committed to go to to Houston. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a that's an AAC conference team. I mean, right. where they are in the standings is, you know, remains to be seen, but, you know, that's not, that's nothing to sneeze at. And so, for him to be able to put up, I mean, right now, Antoine Davis is kind of the runaway, he's the runaway freshman of the year uh, candidate for, in the Horizon League. I don't think anybody's going to come anywhere near him. The way he's playing, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be the runaway conference player, the, uh, conference freshman of the year. And without well, a doubt, if he averages thirty points a game, he's going to be in the conversation for Player of the Year too. That's going to be an interesting thing, though, because that's kind of the question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, do we? Because you know, is he going to? Because he's going to. Because he's unlike the non-conference, he's going to get every every team's going to get two shots at him during mm-hmm. the conference schedule. Do you? Th- I don't see. I don't really necessarily see. Him averaging thirty points a game in the conference schedule. He's no, doing it now, sure, but I don't think he's going to. I, I, it would be very hard for him to. I, I, I would find it very hard to, for him to to do that during the regular during the conference schedule. I, I, I just, just knowing that you're going to play him twice, I, I would find it very hard to see him kind of compete. At, you know, to be able to you know put up those kind of numbers. He might, but I, I, I just don't see it. I doubt it, and like I mentioned before, I think that's really what is going to be Detroit Mercy's Achilles' heel this season. Yeah. Is once, uh, if you shut him down, it, it's not easy. But if you shut him down, what do they do? You know, it, where do they go? You, Josh McFauley's having a fine season; he's averaging fifteen a game. Sure, but having a guy average fifteen a game, and then your other, your only other scoring threat is shut down, you're done. You're not going to win yeah. games. So, yeah, I mean, if teams are going to game plan to shut him down, that's what sure. they're going to try to do going into the game because they know if they can do that, they've got a pretty good shot to win the game. Sure. So, and I think the other challenge is I think the other challenge that you have in, on the on the Detroit Mercy side is that I mean, just the just the passage of time because Antoine Davis is is putting a, is playing big numbers for Detroit Mercy right now. You know, is he gonna? I guess the other question is going to be: Is he going to run out of gas? Right. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, if you're playing like 35, 40 minutes a game, you know, 35, 40 minutes every game, after a certain point in time, you're going to hit a wall. Yeah, he's averaging 38 minutes a game right now. Yeah, that's and it's not like he's averaging 38 minutes a game and he's out there but not doing much. He's doing yeah. almost everything while he's out there. He's going to exactly. be gas. So, yeah, it's a good point, too. So uh, I wonder when they start getting closer to Horizon League play or even sooner, if they start cutting those minutes back a bit. I, there's I'd be interested of to see that. I'd be interested to see if they do that. I mean, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, given given Detroit Mercy's situation where um, 
you know, they're, they're kind of feeling their way through the conf- uh, they're kind of feeling their way through this right now. I don't know if they do that. I mean, but then again, I, I mean, you know, I've learned, I learned long ago not to underestimate Mike Davis, so <laughs> you never know. And, yeah. and again, and I'd like to point out again, they were, they're, they're 3-5 and five right now. Um, they, uh, they, they hung with Kent State, uh, they actually hung with Kent State, and they eventually lost by four. But they were up, at one point in time they were up by nine on on Kent State, and they only lost by four. So I mean it's you know and again it's gonna you'll you'll see some learning experiences coming out, especially with some of these younger teams with the Detroit Mercies, with you know to a much greater extent Cleveland State. But yeah the. I, again, I'd be very interested in seeing kind of how that shakes out with with Kent State. And again, with, when they played Akron, they lost by you know they did lose by twelve to Akron on Saturday, but they were they were in the they were pretty they were in the game with Akron for most of that game, and they you know they 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 lost by twelve to Akron when say for by comparison Youngstown State at the beginning of the season lost to. Akron by way more than that. So, I mean, I would look at it from a comparison standpoint that maybe potentially Detroit is progressing much faster than we thought they would and kind of leading me to believe that, again, maybe maybe you must underestimate Mike Davis at your peril. Always Mm -hmm. a distinct possibility. Um but again, yeah, I'd be very interested in seeing kind of where they, where they, how they shake out in the, in the conference schedule, which is interesting because the first two teams they play in Detroit Mercy plays in the conference schedule is Cleveland State and Youngstown State. Right, so they could come out looking real good after those first two games, and it could all be false. And when they start playing teams that are going to be in the upper part of the Horizon League this year, so uh, it's going it's going to be tough to judge them. Based on those first two games, because I mean, yeah. let's face it, Cleveland State and Youngstown State are bad teams. So um, the the only other thing that I I look at is, you know, you say Detroit Mercy might be an up and coming team, and yeah. I agree with you there. But is Mike Davis enough to keep Antoine Davis at Detroit Mercy? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, put it. I, it, it, that's an interesting question, and to that I answer, um, because I don't know. I'd say yes, and I say yes because of the fact that, again, this is—I don't know how Detroit Mercy keeps doing this, but this isn't the first father-son combination with Detroit Mercy, as you as you recall. You know, Ray McCallum had mm-hmm. had his son Ray Jr., and he played for him the whole time. And they did very well. They went to a, they they won a conference championship. Um, they you know they won the conference tournament. Went to an NCAA tournament. And I guess the question that I would ask is, where do you, you know what happens? Po- what would ha- what, what will happen post Antoine Davis? Just right. as like the same question as we had. What ha- what will happen to Detroit post Ray McCallum Jr.? Right. We already know the answer to that. But right. at the same time. At the same time, you when you compare the caliber of coaches, Mike Davis is an infinite. I mean, I think we can all objectively agree Mike Davis is an infinitely has has a infinitely stronger resume than Ray McCallum did. Right. <laughs> infinitely stronger. 
I mean, he was able to, he, you know, he, he was able to, he, he was, you know, yes, he did it with Bobby Knight's guys, but he took that, that, he took a Indiana team to the Final Four. He was consistently able to get Texas Southern annually to the NCAA tournament. And right. so I think from, and same thing with UAB when he was there. Um, so from that standpoint, I think Mike Davis has got a stronger resume and I think he's got a stronger, Pedigree, and I also think that he has. I mean, he was a. I mean, honestly, he his son could have just as easily stayed at Houston. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also a level of buy-in too. Right. And, and and you know he could you know the level of buy-in he can get from not only his son. You got to remember also too. Josh McFally could have went somewhere else, just like everybody else did on that team. Right. But Josh McFally stayed. He bought in. So I think from that standpoint, I think I think Mike Davis has the ability to establish enough buy-in, not only with the players that he has now, but players in the future. That I I I, I don't know how this season's going to go, but in subsequent seasons, I think Detroit Mercy has the potential to be back to where back to where it needs to be in the Horizon League, which is something that the Horizon League needs needs desperately. Right. And the, the only last note I have on Antoine Davis as far as him staying at Detroit Mercy, the one thing with him staying at Detroit Mercy he'll never have to worry about is he will be the star as long as he is oh. here. Because, well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> mostly because of his talent, but also because his dad's coaching the team. He will be the star, and he'll have eyes on him as long as he's on this team. Absolutely. And again, and, and also too, and I think this is also very important to note, because um, if you have the talent, people are going to find you. Just right. like people found, back in the two, two, 2010s, people found Shelvin Mack. People found Gordon Hayward. People found Norris Cole. People right. found Alec Peters at Valpo. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it doesn't matter where you are. The, ta- the scouts will find you. It's a, there's this crazy thing called the Internet going on. You can find anything on it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... His name's right at the top of the scores in NCAA too, so people are yeah. going to be seeing him real quick. Exactly, exactly. So, all right. So, with that said, uh, we're going to close out this uh, this episode. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much for joining us again. Hey, thanks for the invite. I hope we can do it again. Uh, no doubt, and you can uh, catch all episodes of the Horizon Roundtable on SportsHacks.com, H-A-X.com. You can also find us on. Wherever you find podcasts, be it iTunes, uh, Google Play Music, TuneIn, you name it, uh, you can also uh, you can also ask your uh, Amazon Echo or Google Home device to uh, to play us, and I know that works. As well as we're also on iHeartRadio now and Spotify. So wherever you get, we're pretty much everywhere now. So feel free to find us, and um, you know we'll 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 see you we'll see you catch you again next episode. And uh, thank you for listening.